Developments out of Saudi Arabian arbitration, a cryptocurrency dispute in Hong Kong, Singapore gets thoughtful about arbitrability, and Bitcoin Jesus? All this and more on this week's episode of Disputes Digest. But before we jump into it, welcome back to the show. I'm Chris Campbell, and thank you for joining me this week on this weekly dive into Global Disputes News. And if you enjoy the show, I'd greatly appreciate it if you left us a review and share the show with a friend or colleague. Okay, let's jump into it. In the grand scheme of human enterprise, institutions like the Saudi Center for Commercial Arbitration, SCCA, are the unsung heroes. They provide the framework, the guardrails, if you will, that allow businesses to navigate the tumultuous seas of commerce. It's a classic tale of structure meeting ambition, a theme we're all too familiar with. And that brings us to our first story of today. And this narrative has a new protagonist, Mr. Zayad Koasim. Mr. Koasim is a seasoned lawyer and has been just been appointed as the new CEO of the SCCA. His credentials are, for lack of a better term, astounding. Mr. Koasim's experience and knowledge qualify him as an expert in knowledge and leadership that are cornerstones of such institutions. What's even more interesting and compelling about the broader narrative is a sense of evolution or reaching beyond national borders that this appointment signifies. So the SCCA has also approved a strategy to enhance its international presence. It's a clear indication of its desire to establish the SCCA as an international hub for dispute resolution. It's the classic tipping point, a moment of critical mass, the confluence of a dynamic new leader and a bold outward looking strategy might be just a catalyst that is necessary to propel the SCCA into the global limelight. I'm reading all this, of course, as inspiration from its own press release, but it's an interesting point. And as is often the case, change is brought not just by individuals or one strategy, but it's also powerful synergy for both. Mr. Kosim's appointment and the SCCA's vision to go global could be the start of a new chapter in Saudi Arabia, not just for the SCCA, but for commercial arbitration as a whole in the region. And from one vantage point, it could be seen as a new vector of momentum for SCCA and Saudi Arabian arbitration. Then from there, let's go to this next story and start with a little thought experiment. Picture this, you're mediating a disagreement you come to an impasse, the two sides can't make amends, and then you walk away from the arbitration or the mediation, and the next thing you know, all of a sudden, your last offers are now public knowledge. How did that happen? How could it happen? But folks, believe me, it could happen, as we're seeing right now in a matter called Genesis Global Holcos and its bankruptcy situation. It's a lending and borrowing service for digital assets and fiat currency, and it's filing for bankruptcy to, quote, maximize value for its creditors, end quote, and to restructure its pretty hefty 5.1 billion U.S. dollars in total liabilities. Now, why are they in trouble? Because Genesis Global points to a, quote, tremendous dislocation, end quote, in the digital assets industry. They're talking about the collapse of Luna, Terra USD, liquidation proceedings of Three Arrows Capital, and multiple bankruptcies. These events shook investor confidence, and Genesis Global's business took a major hit. It was so bad, they had to stop all lending and borrowing last November. Then in January, they filed for Chapter 11. Now, they've been negotiating with creditors and have been on a basic restructuring framework, but they've hit a snag, hence the need for a mediator. 
They're hoping mediation can help everyone come to an agreement. And they want a bankruptcy judge from the Southern District of New York to do the job. And that's when we get to the crazy part. The final mediation proposals were made public in a public filing. Were made public in an open court filing. And you've got to think, how did we get here? What led to this bizarre arrangement? There must have been some serious discussions and debates to reach this point, or maybe it's just a creative bit of legal strategy. It's a wild, wild world out there, and all we'll have to do is leave this one open for now, and we'll come back and sit, and we'll come back with further developments as they arise. Next, let's hop over to Singapore, where there's an ongoing conversation about interpreting arbitrability. You see, in the world of international commercial arbitration, a novel approach to arbitrability has emerged in the Singapore Court of Appeals. In its decision, Anupam Mittal versus Westbridge Ventures Investment Holdings. That case is an intriguing mix of English and Singaporean law and helps unpack the issue of arbitrability, a question of whether a dispute can be referred to arbitration, and in particular, what law governs this at the pre-award stage. Middle, the founder of an online matrimonial service, found himself in a bitter dispute with Westbridge, a Mauritian private equity fund that held significant shares in his company. The root of the contention was Westbridge's alleged contempt to oust Mittal, a minority shareholder, by selling its shares to a third party. This led to Mittal accusing Westbridge of minority oppression in the National Company Law Tribunal in India, NCLT proceedings. Westbridge argued that this was a breach of the arbitration agreement in the shareholders provision, which stipulated that disputes would be settled through Singapore seated arbitration and not anywhere else. Here lies the crux of the matter. What law should determine whether a dispute is arbitrable at the pre-award stage? Middle argued that it was Indian law under the claims of the minority oppression were not arbitrable. The Singaporean High Court, however, deemed the dispute arbitrable under Singaporean law, granting Westbridge a permanent anti-suit injunction. The Singapore court held the ruling but arrived at this conclusion via an unorthodox rule, applying what they called a composite approach. In essence, both the law of the arbitration agreement and the Lex Fori were considered relevant. This approach diverges from other jurisdictions like the USA, Switzerland, Holland, Belgium, Italy, Austria, and Sweden, which apply the Lex Fori at the pre-award stage. This decision marks an exciting new direction for international arbitration with regard to this topic, one that synthesizes the law of the agreement with the Lex Fori, preserving the public policy imperatives for both. It also makes us question the balance between party autonomy and national policy, and hints at the importance of careful drafting of arbitration agreements. As the world grows smaller, the nuanced discussions of law and policy become increasingly pivotal, and we'd all do well to keep our eyes on Singapore as it continues to push the boundaries. From there, let's head to Brazil and talk about the recent decision in the energy sector. Petrobras, Brazil's state-owned oil company, lost $162 million arbitration against construction conglomerate Novanor, previously known as Odebrecht, over alleged breaches of the shareholder agreement for petrochemical giant Braxton. The arbitration award was reported on May 9th, and while the specifics of the case remain undisclosed, it could be tied to the infamous Operation Car Wash corruption scandal. For a quick, 
For a quick refresher, Operation Car Wash was a massive bribery and corruption investigation that swept across Latin America. Both Novanor and Petrobras have been tied to the scandal, having paid fines totaling billions of dollars to authorities in the US, Brazil, and Switzerland. This included Novanor and Braskin shelling out a record $3.5 billion in 2016, and Petrobras agreeing to pay over $850 million in 2018 to settle corruption charges. This recent arbitration stemmed from Petrobras's claim that Novanor violated the shareholders' agreement for Braskin, with Petrobras seeking a hefty $800 million, seeking a hefty $800 million Brazilian reals, or $162 million. It's important to note, however, that Braskin itself was not involved in the arbitration. Interestingly, both Petrobras and Novanor have been trying to sell their stakes in Braskin. They initially aimed to raise $1.5 billion through a public offering, which was later canceled due to market instability. Yet it seems Novanor might have found a potential buyer, with Abu Dhabi Oil Group Adnoc and U.S. investment fund Apollo showing interest. The aftermath of Operation Car Wash continues to ripple through the legal world, with both Petrobras and Novanor involved in various arbitrations linked to the scandal. However, for now, Petrobras must rethink its strategy on this matter and consider what next steps look like. Then for our final story of the week, we have a story about renowned investor Roger Ver, often hailed as Bitcoin Jesus, who was embroiled in an arbitration dispute involving CoinFlex, a now bankrupt crypto exchange. The case being held at the Hong Kong International Arbitration Center, HKIAC, is a clash of titanic proportions, with Vare launching a claim for a staggering $200 million against CoinFlex, with the exchange alleges Vare defaulted on $84 million that was owed to them. CoinFlex. CoinFlex, a seashells registered cryptocurrency exchange, found itself under a harsh glare of financial instability last year when a significant investor, later revealed as Ver, allegedly failed to repay its debts on account. This default resulted in CoinFlex freezing withdrawals and inevitably a plunge in share price. The exchange later filed for restructuring in seashells. Ver is not an unfamiliar face in the crypto landscape. One of the earliest proponents of cryptocurrency, his influence and investment have been instrumental in the crypto revolution. However, his journey has not been without controversy, having previously served time in the U.S. for unlicensed sale of firecrackers and later renouncing his U.S. citizenship. The court drama intensified when Vera accused CoinFlex of running a rigged vote to gain investor support and hiding his $200 million claim. He also charged CoinFlex co-founders Mark Lamb and Sudhu Amaragam as unreliable witnesses. However, the Seashell Supreme Court sided with CoinFlex, stating that Vare's accusations were unfair and that he was not a credible witness. In the shadows of this high-stakes case, Vare is also facing a separate $20 million lawsuit from another bankrupt crypto lender, Genesis, over its alleged debts. Sound familiar? The final verdict of the legal proceedings remains to be seen, and the outcomes could be far-reaching in their implications in the rapidly evolving world of cryptocurrency disputes. This tale serves as a stark reminder that even in the new digital frontier, the long arm of the law is never far away. And that's it for us this week. Again, hope you enjoyed that stroll through this week in the news. We're still in the midst of gearing up for season five, which is just about a month away, and we hope you're excited for it. Before that, though, I'll be in London next week for London Disputes Week. And if you happen to be there, do stop by and say hello. It's always good to meet listeners. And before we get out of here, a big shout out to the editing team at Mo Beta Solutions. Thanks so much, guys. We appreciate all that you do for the music and editing for the show. And for you listeners, thanks for listening, and we will see y'all next week. 
None of the views shared today or in any episode of Disputes Digest is presented as legal advice nor advice of any kind. No compensation was provided to any organization or party for their inclusion on the show, nor do any of the statements made represent any particular organization, legal position, or viewpoint. All interviewees or organizations included appear on an arm's length basis, and their appearance should not be construed as any bias or preferred affiliation with the host or host's employer. All rights reserved.